You're listening, listening to, to Bible, Bible Plus. Bible Plus from Seesaw. Bible Plus is a podcast featuring short, daily discussions of every chapter in the New Testament. Bible Plus is designed to increase Bible reading, understanding, and enjoyment. Get more out of the Bible. Hello, and welcome back to Bible Plus. Today we're going to be looking at John chapter 7. Now, I really want to focus on three verses towards the end, verses 37 to 39, but I think it's important to see the context of this chapter and look at the narrative. So in this chapter, Jesus is teaching in the temple in Jerusalem. It is the Feast of Tabernacles. It's the harvest feast, which is also called the Feast of Booths, and all the males from throughout Israel are supposed to return to Jerusalem with the product of their harvest, and we will worship God uh, with by by eating the 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 pro the produce of the harvest that God has blessed us with, and uh, we will dwell in in tents or booths to remind ourselves of when our forefathers dwelt in tents. Uh, and we will see all of our, our friends and family that are scattered throughout Israel. And it'll be a week long party and everyone will eat as much as they can or more. And like I said, Jesus is, is teaching and the crowds are, uh, they're riveted to this man and his teaching. And they, they are considering this man might be the Christ. Look how many works he's done. Look how much power he is clearly exercised, others are saying, no, he couldn't be the Christ because he's from Nazareth and the Christ has to be from from Bethlehem. So in that kind of situation, the uh, the chief priests and the, the Pharisees are very concerned. Um, Jesus is gaining this large following. Uh, he's he's teaching some things that are are somewhat radical and and he's stirring the crowd up uh, so they send their attendants to go pick him up uh arrest him and, and bring him back to them and in verse 45 the attendants return without Jesus and so the pharisees ask him well ask them well why didn't you bring him and the attendants answer Never has a man spoken as this man has. Well, I love that phrase just for the image of, you know, essentially people that were sent to arrest Jesus, sent to, uh, to stop him from what he's doing, themselves being stopped and dumbstruck as they listen to this man speak. So whatever he said was so powerful that it, it stopped them in their tracks and it, made them afraid to made them more afraid of him than of their bosses who had sent them. So what does the Lord say in this chapter? Well, he's in verse 37, he says something that would have been shocking to anyone who had just completed the, the feast of tabernacles. Well, we're in our seventh day and we have eaten and, and we we have we have drunk and eaten and drunk so much and now we're wrapping up and the the feast is ending and we're going to have to go back to where we came from some of us have to go all the way north to dan and 
that trip is looking pretty unappetizing after we're five pounds heavier. And the Lord says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Jesus, who would be thirsty at this time? At this, at, after, at the very end of this party, who is thirsty? Shouldn't everyone have eaten and drunk their full, their fill? Well, what the Lord uh, is pointing to is something that I believe all of us have in some, to some extent experienced that whatever it is, it just doesn't fully satisfy. Whether, what, whatever, whatever peak we've reached, whatever harvest we're reaping of our labor, we can be walking across the stage at graduation, defending our dissertation, starting day one at our dream job. Inwardly, there's a, there's a sense this, this is still not fully satisfying. And so the Lord is pointing to that and his solution, his prescription to that. He says, let him come to me, come to Jesus and drink. And he who believes into me, as the scripture says, out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. So this, uh, if we come to the Lord and drink, we will find not only that that is the thing that finally satisfies us, but that we have we have satisfaction to share. We have a river flowing out of us. We can, we can pass this satisfaction that we've received on to others. And this is, this is marvelous. And uh, I encourage us all to, to turn to the Lord and say, if you're experiencing some dryness, Lord, satisfy me today. But what I really want to focus on is verse 39. And I'll read it. But this, John tells us regarding what the Lord said about the living water, but this he said concerning the spirit whom those who believed into him were about to receive for the spirit was not yet because Jesus had not yet been glorified. So this verse, uh, it immediately presents us with a big problem. What do you mean? The spirit was not yet. Surely the spirit is eternal. So it, how how could he be not yet? Uh, this is such a problem that some Bible translations just add the word given, which would make sense with the rest of our understanding of of the the Spirit and you know our understanding of the Trinity. However, that's not what the text has. <laughs> the text just says the Spirit was not yet. So. If we are just to take the text at face value, what what does that mean for us, and how do we sort this out? We our our problems are are many, uh, in a sense. Uh, Genesis one two, uh, verse two of the Bible uh, it says the spirit was spirit of God was brooding over the face of the waters. Um, in Luke one, before the Lord uh, is born, the 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 spirit is involved in his conception there uh, of Mary. Uh, in, in Matthew three, the Lord is the, the father speaks to the son on the earth from the heavens and sends the spirit from the heavens to the earth in the form of a dove. So clearly we see all three of the Trinity there. So how could you say the spirit was not yet? Well, 
I want to talk about, uh, well, first I want to say I absolutely affirm the eternal immutability, unchangeableness of the triune God, uh, of his three yet oneness and of the spirit, particularly in this, in this case. Um, but I, I do want to talk about some, some of this. So, uh, from the sake, from the standpoint of the Lord Jesus, um, so this is going to seem like a tangent, but bear with me for a moment. In Isaiah 40, verse 28, Isaiah says, or well, the Lord says through Isaiah, do you not know that the eternal God, Jehovah, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not faint, does not grow weary? But John tells us in chapter 4 of his gospel, verse 6, John 4, 6, Jesus, therefore... Being wearied from the journey, sat thus by the well. And there came a woman of Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me something to drink. So, how do we resolve that? That it, the eternal, unchanging one does not grow tired, does not become weary, yet we're told this one who is God is there sitting against the well, and he's tired. Well, we've got to understand that the Lord, in his dual status as God and man, he is, he is the, the untirable one. Yet, as a man, he's tired. He probably started walking about 8 o'clock that morning, and it's about noon. And he... He, the first century, uh, Palestine probably, uh, you know, uh, didn't have great roads and, um, not a lot of, uh, gas stations to pick up, you know, drinks. I know I want to be silly, but it's, the Lord is physically tired. And, but yet in his eternal status as God, he's not. So, uh, we resolve this by understanding that, that there are these two aspects of the truth and, particularly the Lord as the one who is tired by the well, that man, that man, he says to the, to the high priest at his trial in Matthew 26, that man, the son of man will be seated at the right hand of power. That man is coming in glory. Okay. So we understand that the Lord Jesus entered into humanity and put on humanity and lived this human life and he died and he resurrected and he ascended to the father with that human life. And now somehow something that was not present in God is, is, is there is added. So this, this one who could not get tired was tired. This one who who obviously had no interaction with death died. So something is added. And we see that as, as the spirit in us, that the spirit now contains all of these elements that the Lord of the Lord's process of the Lord's human living, death and resurrection. So when it says Jesus had not yet been glorified, that's what it means. And that, and that's why the spirit was not yet. It means all these elements, all of these experiences that the Lord went through 
in his human living, in his work on the earth, are, are added to the spirit. And that spirit, that, that, I don't know what to say, that experiential spirit is installed in us, in us, his believers. So, and, and this is, you know, as I said, this is a big point for the, for theologians. And, uh, I, I think it's really good that people are, are working out how we understand, uh, our salvation and understand our God. But what I want us to see, what I want us to grasp for our experience is that this one is here for you. In, in Hebrews 4.15, it says, we have a high priest who is touched with the feeling of our weaknesses. He's like us in all, he, he was made like us in all respects, yet without sin. He partook of blood and flesh, it says in chapter two. So this one, as the spirit is in you. And so when you say, Lord, I'm so tired. He says, yes, I understand. I don't just sympathize, I empathize. I remember what it was like to be there by that well after walking all morning and be tired. So I understand you're at the end of your workday, you're tired. I'm standing with you. I'm praying for you. I'm interceding in ways in with groanings that cannot be uttered because this is not something far off from me. This is not something I have no contact with. This is something that I've experienced. When the Lord was walking by the, the funeral pyre, funeral procession rather, of that, that son of, of the widow, the only son of the widow, he was moved with compassion. That man is there in in your spirit, that man who is also God is as the spirit is in you. When we interact, when, when someone passes in our life, when we interact with death, that one who is moved with compassion is within us. So what I want us to take away is this verse, the spirit was not yet. This is marvelous because it means that the spirit is being completed in a proper sense. And, and, and that completed spirit is now within us. Just to, to wrap up, we're over time to wrap up. Of course, we absolutely affirm the immutability of the triune God, the unchangeableness of the spirit, the eternal spirit, like it says in Hebrews again. But we also have to reckon with the, what these other verses that talk about the, 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 the duality, the, the, the experiential aspect of the spirit of, of the Lord Jesus and his process and his work. So we, in whatever way we, we wrestle with that theologically, we need to be experiencing it personally in our daily life, that there is one who is standing with us, who is praying for us because he is touched by the feeling of our weakness, having experienced it himself, yet without sin. So let's all endeavor to find this spirit and know this, this 
this one who is there to empathize and to pray and to intercede and to strengthen us in every aspect of our human living. Thanks.